0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white. Let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you. Under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Again, that's kind of representative of the book. There's still some good wisdom in there, but what he's saying there ultimately is it really doesn't matter what you do. Whether you're good or bad, life is just arbitrary. Random bad things are going to happen to people and it doesn't matter whether they're serving God or not. But this is not how Solomon's life was before his wives turned his heart from God, was it? He was living in the manifest protection, blessing, prosperity, every good thing that God had promised, Solomon was the recipient of when his heart was right. When his heart was turned, then he began to see, observe, that it didn't make any difference how you lived, who you served, who you worshiped. Didn't your priorities didn't matter. Good things are going to happen to bad people and good people in the same degree uh, and and bad things are going to happen. Bad things and good things are going to happen to bad bad people and good people. It just doesn't matter. And we can see how wrong that is, and how Solomon himself would have seen how wrong that was before his wives turned his heart. Second Chronicles now. I'm going the wrong way. Second Chronicles chapter 28. And we'll begin in verse 1. I just wanted you to remember this worldview because we're going to see another example of it here. Second Chronicles 28, beginning in verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Back in there in verse 3 where it says, According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, I want you to remember this. When God brought Israel into the land of promise, one of the blessings, one of the great things about it was that they were inheriting an inhabited land, which meant it was a cultivated land. It was a a land with infrastructure. It wasn't a wild, untamed land that they had to, you know, we got this great, it's a great heritage in America. They had to just hack uh, civilization out of the wilderness. Israel didn't have to do that. They moved into cities that were cities, inherited gardens and vineyards and everything that were already planted. But God had to take those things from the people who were already there. And one of the thing, one of the reasons that it was that Israel had to wait so long in Egypt was, uh, as as God put it, He had to wait until the sin of those nations was full. There had they had exhausted every opportunity for repentance, and the cup of evil was filled to the brim. They were utterly sinful. And one of the manifestations of this sinfulness was they were worshiping false gods, and one of these false gods was Molech, and the way they worshiped him was to sacrifice their children in the fire. So it wasn't just that they were doing crazy, evil things. They were doing the very things that got the original inhabitants of that land pushed out, cast out, destroyed. All right? And this king, Ahaz, was doing the same thing. Verse 4, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high, high places, the hills, and under every green tree. Chapter 28, verse 5, Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a, multitude, a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. And then it goes on to talk about, there's a, there's a pretty neat, you can read this later if you want, the rest of chapter 28, where Israel, you know, remember, we've got two kingdoms here, Israel and Judah, and Israel is confronted by a prophet saying, you know, ultimately, these guys are your brothers. You need to return these people that you've taken as slaves. Uh, but skip ahead now to, chap, uh, to, still in chapter 28, Verse 16. At the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of, uh, kings of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, Gederah, Soko, and its, and, and its villages, Timnah with its villages, Gimzo with its villages, and they dwelt there. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him, for Ahaz took part of the treasures of the house of the Lord from the house of the king and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. Now for you scholars out there who have uh, uh, read and read and read the Old Testament, you will notice that in in, uh, 1 Kings, when it gives this account, it kind of looks like uh, Tiglath-Pileser did help him, but what it says is he heeded him. And if you put these two accounts together, uh, king of Assyria listened to him, went and took his gift, but then did not help him. He ended up Distressing him, as it says here in Second Chronicles. Now uh, down to verse 22. And I've got this verse highlighted in my Bible with an exclamation point in the margin. It says this, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. <laughs> this is that King Ahaz. And and I I think I've had that highlighted. I'm not sure what exactly motivated me to highlight that or even when I did. But there, there are times we have seen them in our own lives and we see them in Scripture where distress, great distress, actually can cause people to turn to the Lord or back to the Lord. But King Ahaz's reaction or response to this great distress was to become increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. Let's read on for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus which had defeated him saying because the gods of the kings of Syria help them i will sacrifice to them that they may help me but they were the ruin of him and of all Israel wow do you see how messed up this is here is a man who never, we don't have any record of him ever serving God. There's one reference where it says the Lord his God, but that's more of just the fact that he's the king of Judah and it's supposed to be his God. He did not serve the Lord God. He sacrificed uh, to these other gods. He followed after the pattern of of the evil kings of Israel. And this is a Judean king. did all these things, and then essentially says, thanks a lot, God, for helping me. Look at, these, look at these nations that are distressing me. I reach out to this one. I reach out to Assyria for help. They weren't even attacking me. I paid them, and even they distressed me. So since their gods apparently helped them, I guess I'll serve their gods. What on earth, whenever did he give God, his God, the opportunity? When did he ever reach out to his God? He was simply acting presumptuously. He wasn't serving his God, he wasn't honoring his God, and yet he's thumbing his nose at God saying, well, my God's not going to help me, I guess I'll worship their God. Now, in contrast, of course, we have David. He's, he's exhibit A, of course. You know, remember uh, David who committed this great sin, with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, and he was confronted and he repented. This was a man after God's own heart, right? Doesn't mean he was perfect. It meant when he did something wrong, his heart was to get right with God. We have Psalm 51 as a great testimony to that heart of repentance. Uh, but that wasn't the only sin. Another a little bit more mysterious one was that census that David took. In First Chronicles 21, there's the story. You can read it. I don't think we have time to talk about it tonight. And it's a little bit mysterious because it never really explains, either in the Kings version or the Samuel version or the Chronicles version, why it was a sin. But David went to count uh, the people uh, and Joab even tried to talk him out of it. He says, you know, however many there are, I pray that the Lord just increases. I pray that there's a hundred times more. But why do you want to do this? You know, this is, this is risky. Joab even knew that this was something that theologically he shouldn't be doing. And probably, uh, you know, my assumption for years has simply been that David, as a military man, wanted to count the people to gauge his military strength. And therefore, he's putting his faith, he's putting his trust in men, chariots, and horses when it always needed to be in God where it was. But he took this census, um, and God confronted him and uh, told him there was going to be a curse, there was going to be a price to pay. And David, uh, let, me, let me read this, uh, this passage here in First Chronicles, sorry, First Chronicles 21. Right, let me back up here a second. Give you the, the background here. God tells him, you know, you can have this happen. You can have a, uh, uh, you can fall into the hands of your enemies. You can have a plague. And, and David says, don't let me fall into the hands of my enemies. You know, let me, let me fall into your hands. I know you're merciful. So the bottom line is there's a plague. An angel goes through the land and begins to slay people. Uh, it's, and, and I'm sure it, it took the form of some uh, ravaging disease. Thousands of people died, and in, in chapter 21, verse 7, it says, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. Verse 8, So David said to God, I have sinned greatly, because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And he even says, you know, you need to take this out on me. Don't take it out on your people. And God relented, stopped the angel. He was, heading, he was heading toward the city. He says, you know, stay your hand. It's enough. And this is when David buys the, uh, he offers the sacrifice. You know, the guy's in there uh, treading out the grain or whatever. and said, oh, just take it, King David. And David says, no, I need to buy it from you. I'm not going to offer sacrifices with something that didn't cost me anything. And again, remember this. David was known as a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because his heart was always inclined to make things right when he blew it rather than get mad at God. Oh, God, I thought you loved me. Why is this thing happening now? David always knew what, why it was happening. Ahab, maybe on the other end of the scale, but he did it too. You can read about it in Second Kings uh, 21 and 22. Uh, judgment, you know, God pronounced judgment on him. And then Ahab repented in, in sackcloth and ashes, and the prophet's walking away, and God says, you see how he's humbled himself before me? Go back and tell him I'm going to relent. I'm not going to visit this judgment on him. This is Ahab. Ahab was not a good king. I've always, I've, I've, I've felt very strongly for years Ahab had it in him to be a good king. He married the wrong woman. Jezebel really brought him down. So what does this have to do with us today? There's a couple things. Number one, do you know somebody who has given up on God? And if you do, did it shake you? And that, that might depend on who it was. You might have known somebody who said they were a Christian in high school, and then you meet them ten years later, and they're not a Christian anymore, and you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, I don't know anything about it. But you might know somebody who had a real heart for the gospel, a heart for the church, a heart for God himself, and then you, that you discover that they've turned away, and it kind of shakes you a little bit. What would cause a person like this to turn away from God? You know, it's different. It's, it's jarring enough when we read... And, and Lord knows, it's, 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 it's too bad. There's no shortage of stories, especially in this day and age, of scandals of, of, of well-known ministers, men and women of God who have fallen. That's hard enough. But when you hear of somebody who renounces their faith, turns away from God, what brings them to that point? Have you ever asked them? Did you ever really find out why? Why? And more importantly are you am i are we pursuing things that actually cultivate our relationship with god or are we pursuing things that actually compete with our relationship with god we've almost all been there we want the best of both worlds one foot in the world one foot in the church And you can get away with it for a while. But sooner or later, what you perceive is this lack of vitality. Lack of passion. Lack of energy for your Christian life. And unfortunately, the way this is often translated is, God just doesn't make that big a difference in my life. And this is what happens huh, I've been a Christian this many years and I don't don't see God making a difference. Never mind the difference he used to make. Once we get one foot in the world and we live this way for a while, we don't see God making a big difference. But why is that? Is it because God himself has stopped making a difference? Or because we've stopped giving him the opportunity to make a difference? We taste of things that are contrary to God's best for us and they steal our hearts like Solomon's wives. And then it snowballs. Romans chapter 1 tells the whole story. It starts by asserting that God himself makes himself known through creation, makes himself known inside every individual, makes himself known and knowable, but that people suppress that knowledge in order to pursue the appetites of the flesh. And then sooner or later, they are given over to what Paul calls a debased or reprobate mind. I'm going to wrap this up by sharing a verse from Deuteronomy. Uh, Chapter 6. Beginning in uh, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And many times in this passage, we focus on the teach your children part. It's super important. And in, in, uh, I think it's chapter 11, where he, in Deuteronomy, where he reiterates this, when he's talking about, you know, your children haven't seen this. You've seen it, but your children have it. You've seen all the mighty works of God, so you've got to talk about them. But the talking about, uh, talking about these things, with, uh, teaching them diligently to your children, is only the first part of it. I really like that phrase, when you walk by the way. Because that's, what that's talking about is simply the daily affairs of life. It's good to have a time set aside for devotions. This is my Bible study time. This is my prayer time. But you can't separate that. You can't compartmentalize God. It's got to be part of your, not just your rising up, not just your bedtime prayers, not just when you sit down at your meals, but when you walk by the way. We're, we're, he's, he's commanding us here to view everything, including our daily affairs, through the worldview, the lens of Faithfulness to God and His commandments. Don't leave God out of anything. The final takeaway is this. this, was, this might be the bullet. the, the single bullet point. God uh, sorry, people don't turn from God because He stops favoring them. God stops favoring people when they turn from Him. Or maybe this way. People don't give up on God because they don't see his handiwork. They stop seeing his handiwork when they give up on God. You know, when you're in the the truth, it's really hard to imagine how any believer could turn from God. And it's why when we are in the truth, we can understand how dedicated believers are can endure so much. You know, it's funny. You p- get people out there on the fringe. They wander from God. They start living like the devil. And then something, maybe something piddly happens. Uh, and, and that's a relative term. And I don't think we find it in the Bible. Piddly. But, you know, it, it, it's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's not a small thing, for instance, when somebody uh, loses a job It's not a small thing uh, at all. But in the grand scheme of things, compared to losing your life, compared to losing your freedom, uh, it could be considered small. But something bad happens. Or never mind losing your job. I uh, I didn't get the promotion I thought I deserved, and somebody else did. Thanks a lot, God, who needs you. And that might be a little bit of a caricature, but this kind of thing happens doesn't it? And yet, people who are given to God, who are dedicated to God, suffer the loss of greater things than that. You know, you read the, the accounts of people like Corey Ten Boom and some of the great martyrs through history, and their faith was never shaken. Now, why? It's not a matter of, well, my life's not going as well as I thought it would, so who needs you, God? It's they never lost sight of the truth in the first place. We've got to be careful. When I read some of these things, even though they're ancient, even though I've read them the, before, and I read about Ahaz, he, increased in his, he became increasingly unfaithful, and he made this conscious decision. It wasn't just a drifting away It was a well, if the gods of the, if these other nations are defeating me, then their gods must be better. I'll just serve them. He had to have known better. But he made that choice anyway. It was a very selfish, very self centered, narrow choice. And it stuns me when I read it. But we've got to be very careful to recognize that there's not a single person in here who is immune to that kind of thinking. Do you understand that? The very fact that you know people and I know people who have walked away, instead of making us go, boy, what idiots, ought to make us say, what could cause somebody to do that? I knew them when they really loved the Lord. What is going to keep me from doing that? What's going to keep me from doing something that stupid, that destructive? And what's going to keep you from doing that is continuing to cultivate this right relationship with God. This, is, this, is, this touches very specifically on what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, our praise and worship. When we can spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes even, Just singing to God. We're not talking about him. We're not trying to figure him out. We are operating on the assumption that he is here, that he hears us, that our voices aren't just for our entertainment. They don't just fill this room, that God himself is inhabiting these praises. And the importance of that, of cultivating that awareness and that relationship and this lifestyle of worship, That is what is going to be, that's what's going to guard us from getting our feelings hurt, from drifting off into this mindset, which seems impossible, probably seems impossible to everyone in this room. But I promise you there are people who who have been in this room who felt exactly like you do, who did indeed drift away. And it wasn't because life got too hard. It's because they took a step away from God first. Let's be humble about that. Let's pray that God himself keeps us close to him. That he surrounds us with people who are going to challenge us. Not just challenge us. You know, we hear the word challenge and sometimes that's a license to wag our fingers. You can challenge somebody and encourage them at the same time. Come alongside them. Do this with me. Man, I hear you. I know it's a tough spot to be in. I've been there too. Let me tell you what I did. Let me walk through this with you. This is what being the church is about, right? Hey, in the center of God's will is a great place to be. It is the best place to be. It's not always the easiest place to be. But it is the only place to be where things are going to turn out right. We can endure everything knowing that we're where we're supposed to be in God's will. But that all starts we talk about cultivating this relationship with god you can't cultivate something that doesn't exist we've got to have this relationship with god that starts with a decision that starts with a confession of faith if you will believe in your heart sorry if you will confess with your mouth the lord jesus christ and believe in your heart god is raising from the dead you will be saved we are all start out from a lost position sin separates us from god jesus christ god the son came to restore that relationship. And he did that by bearing the burden and absorbing the judgment, the wrath of God on sin. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. It's forgiven. The price has been paid if we will just believe and confess. If you need to make that confession today, tonight, be my privilege to pray with you. Everybody else, let's remember. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray it on behalf of all of us. I want you to agree with it. And then when I'm done praying, we'll sing. And if you want to give your heart to Christ, if you want to rededicate your life to Christ, come forward and it be my privilege to pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the, the detailed accounts of the lives of these men who led your people. As scary as it is, astonishing as it is, Help us to take the right lessons away. Surround us with people who are going to help us keep our eyes on you. We thank you so much for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to your Spirit. Fill us afresh with your Spirit, Lord God. Be powerfully present in our lives. And don't ever let us lose sight of just how abundant the manifestations are of your goodness, your very existence. Creation speaks and sings of who you are. Don't ever let us lose sight of that, Lord God. Jerk the slack out of us. Open our eyes. Remind us. Shout to us. Help us to remember you, not just when we rise up, not just when we go to bed. But when we walk by the way, give us the boldness. Grant us the boldness. Fill us with the boldness to speak of you when we rise up, when we sit down, when we walk by the way, when we lie down at night. Be our worldview. Thank you for saving us, for preserving us, for healing us, For supplying us, for protecting us, for filling us with your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody in here who does not know you as Father, as Savior, as the ultimate source of life, that they would come to know you tonight. Grant them, Lord, the humility, the wisdom, the boldness to come now and receive that gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. All the believers said, Amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.